Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together again this morning to speak to us. We pray that your word would be effectual in our lives, accomplishing everything that you have for it to accomplish. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to believe and minds um, that believe and hands and feet that are eager and willing to do your will. It's part of the new creation in Christ and indwelt by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, please be seated, friends, and turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, I particularly would like to focus on what we're going to call a spiritual showdown in Ephesus, <laughs> looking at verses 11 through 20, but I'd like to start reading at the beginning of the chapter and give a little bit of the context as the gospel is moving from Jerusalem, Judea to the ends of the earth, and now Paul and others find themselves in Ephesus. And so we hear this, the, the word of God. Starting in verse, actually, let's start in chapter 18, verse 24. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote uh, to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Before I read the next thing, I just want to address the question, because it addresses, he'd heard of John's baptism, and then in the the next section, they're going to refer to that as well. What that refers to is that the gospel is just getting out, and many people have been baptized into the name of John, Uh, but John was the one who was pointing forward to Jesus, so they hadn't yet heard about the finality of Christ in terms of his death and resurrection. They were still somewhat in between that time period, if you will, between the Old and New Testament, not yet hearing about the fullness of it come in Christ. And they'd heard about the baptism in John for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But John said when Jesus comes, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so this is post-Pentecost. And they hadn't heard about those things yet. And so um, Aquila and Priscilla and Paul are going to tell them more fully about these things. It says, and it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, 
speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Well, Ephesus is a significant city in the Asian province. It was a thriving commercial center. It was actually ended up being an important city for the spread of Christianity. But it was also a very challenging city. It was filled with idols. It was filled with idolatry and paganism and all sorts of witchcraft and sorcery and different, uh, new, uh, different beliefs. One of the ancient wonders of the world, uh, the Temple of Artemis or Temple of Diana, was there as well. There were many significant cities at the time. Athens was really more the intellectual capital, if you will. Corinth was more the entertainment capital. But Ephesus was really the spiritual center of the area. Witchcraft, sorcery, the occult, superstition, magic, all of these things were resplendent in the age. And it's really not that different from today, is it? We live in a hyper-spiritual, hyper-religious society. An L.A. Times article not too long ago said that there's a growing market for American New Age gurus in Japan and on on a San Diego shop that markets how-to hex books, spells, candles that can help break up romances, help get a job and control enemies, good luck sprays, voodoo dolls sold alongside of crucifixes and Last Supper paintings, tele-evangelists distribute prayer prayer cloths, for health and wealth, for a donation to their ministries. A recent U.S. president consulted a personal astrologer while countless people check out their horoscopes every day. Prominent entertainers entertainers advocate reincarnation and channeling, while others find personal peace in an ideology that promises mental power to manipulate the circumstances of life. Not too far from Ephesus. And this message comes in about this Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Luke, when he wrote his gospel, was really writing about what Jesus Christ was doing while he was on earth. But we can really say that Acts is a record of what Jesus Christ is doing while he's ascended. 
And we want to look at three things in particular this morning about this showdown in Ephesus. We want to look at the power of the Lord over disease, the power of the Lord over evil spirits, and the power of the Lord over sin. The power of the Lord over diseases, the power of the Lord over evil spirits, and the power of the Lord over sin. And hopefully when we read through the text, you noticed how often it was the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, or in the name of the Jesus, in the name of the Jesus, in the name of Jesus was used over and over. It's really important. It's the word. Christ is now risen and ascended, and he sent out ambassadors to proclaim the truth of the gospel in his name. And all of these things are connected with the coming of the kingdom, Jesus manifesting his power over disease, over spirits, and over sin. So the first thing we want to look at is the power of the Lord over diseases. Note at the very beginning, who is the main character or actor in the scene? It's not necessarily Paul, is it? What does verse 11 say? And God was doing extraordinary things through Paul. Paul was the means of doing these things, but it was God who was acting in and through him. God is the one who is doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. God uses means often. And these miracles are really an aftershock of Pentecost. They're authenticating that Paul's mission is aligned with Christ's mission. The works that Jesus did while on earth are the same works that he is doing while he is in heaven now. The kingdom of God has come. It's in your midst. It is your presence. This is how you will know these things. They're bearing witness to the ends of the earth. The rest of scripture wasn't written yet. So how would people know that Paul's word is the same as Jesus' word, that these miracles accompanied them, they attested to them? They're like an aftershock of Pentecost. is an unrepeatable, redemptive, historical event, but it has aftershocks. And so here's how they know. Here's how these things are tied together, that Paul is speaking in the name of Jesus. The same things are being done by God through him. And whenever the Lord does miracles, he, they're never just party tricks or things that are meant to be entertaining. They're meant to prove something or point to something or show something beyond them. When the Lord parted the Red Sea, he was demonstrating that he is the redeemer over all the other gods. All ten of the plagues that happened in Egypt were specifically refuting or conquering one of the Egyptians' gods, whether it was over the Nile or whether it was over fertility or whether it was over life or whether it was over the sun. God was showing his power through his miracles over all the false gods that people were putting their hope in. And Jesus, when he did his miracles while he was on earth, he was showing that he was Lord over everything. He was showing that he was the Lord over creation. He calmed storms. He could take just a few loaves of fish and uh, loaves of uh, loaves of fish, loaves of bread and fish, and break them and distribute them. He showed his power over diseases by healing all kinds of diseases. He showed his power over evil spirits by casting them out. And he showed his power over death by raising people from the dead, most notably himself. He is the Lord. He is the one who is in control and in charge of all of these things. He's the one who holds the keys to life and death. And here now, the Lord was doing miracles through Paul to authenticate the message that Paul was preaching. Apparently even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched people were using and God was healing even if they just touched those how remarkable and how fascinating 
And we often get fascinated with the extraordinary, don't we? These verses are used by some to try to make money today. Send in X amount of dollars and you will be healed. Touch the television screen and you will be healed. Well, that's really preying on the sick. It's preying on the feeble. It's preying on the gullible. It's preying on the vulnerable. It's preying on the desperate. People wanted to sell power and healing and influence. But the gospel was an announcement that went out freely. Jew and Gentile, anyone, slave and free, anyone who believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. It's not about buying power. It's not buying influence. It's not about using and abusing people, but loving them and serving them. When people read this text today, there's usually two ends of the spectrum that they go to. One is to deny the supernatural aspect of it and say, that just doesn't happen. That's ridiculous nonsense. Or the other end to try to imitate it falsely. Like I just said, with prayer claws today or people touching their TV or putting forth the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine. But we want Scripture to help us interpret Scripture. And Paul, speaking about his own ministry in 2 Corinthians, says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. In other words, that they're authenticating the fact that Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's why they were happening with Paul. We wouldn't necessarily anticipate them to continue in the same way post Apostles, because we now have everything that was recorded done for us, telling us about this Jesus. Paul's miracles weren't to point to him or his power. They weren't to be an influence that could be sold or bought by others, but to extol the name of Jesus, that the same Jesus that was just here a couple of years ago is now doing these same things from heaven. Our method, our message is the same. The same Jesus that did these things is alive. He's active. He's working. He's speaking. We would be amazed if we saw these kind of healings, wouldn't we? But you know what is amazing this morning, beloved? Is that God sent you an ambassador to announce to you that your sins are forgiven and that you have peace with God. We come in and we hear that every week, but that's extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary things happen through the ordinary means of grace. That God sent someone to you this morning, to announce to you that you have peace with him now and always. That same Jesus. And he's at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you, so that nothing will ever be able to separate you from his love. And so here, through the word and through Paul, we recognize that Jesus has power over diseases. We also recognize the second point, that the power of the Lord over evil spirits. Some of those who saw these extraordinary miracles, they wanted in on the action. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over all of those who had evil spirits. It's interesting that in Ephesus, there was a magical papyrus found that was written in about 300 AD that instructs exorcists to heap up various divine names, apparently even including the name of Jesus, the God of the Hebrews, in order to expel a demon. So in 300 AD, we we didn't find it in 300 AD, from 300 AD, we found a papyrus that said that exorcists were using all of these names. They were just, eventually we're going to get it right, right? Let's just keep on naming every deity we can think of 
in the hopes of being able to cast out these demons. And so this story is somewhat sobering, but it's also somewhat comical, isn't it? These imposters are trying to invoke the name of Jesus, and the evil spirits say, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? (laughs) Can you imagine that? The evil spirits are responding to these exorcists. They're trying to make money and profit all this. And the evil spirits say, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? You have no authority. You have no power. You have no influence here. Isn't it interesting that even the demons know who Jesus is? They don't believe him. They don't honor him. They don't love him. They don't serve him. But they know that he is the Lord and they know that their fate is in his hands. The demons even know enough to fear him. Some of the people in Ephesus still need to learn this. They'll invoke any name that may give them whatever they want in this life. Health, wealth, prosperity, influence, or power. But the demons know enough to fear. And so the man who had been possessed with the demon leaps on them, mastered them, And they went away naked and wounded. That's a whooping, isn't it? That's a spiritual showdown. And note that Paul didn't even say the name of Jesus. They did. This is how powerful the Lord is. And that the Lord is in control of all of these things. The very ones who are attempting to use the name of the Lord are now naked and running and fleeing. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 8. This is a story where... Jesus casts a demon out of someone and sends them into a herd of pigs and the pigs go over the cliff. Luke 8, starting in verse 34, listen to what it says. It says, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demon had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. That's a beautiful picture of an encounter with a savior, isn't it? This man had been possessed out of his mind, had known no peace, At the word of the Lord, they were gone. And now he's at the feet of Jesus. He's in his right mind. He is 
at peace. And you can understand that he wants to stay with Jesus. But Jesus sends him out as an evangelist, isn't he? Go and tell others. Not go and do what I did, but go tell them what I did. You hear the difference? Jesus isn't commissioning him to go and do the works that he did. Jesus is commissioning him to go tell him the works that I did. Go and tell them about me. Go tell them about the one who had mercy. Go tell them about the one who has power over sin, over Satan, over death, over demons, the one who has healed you, the one who loved you, the one who showed you mercy. Go tell them about me. And he does. And the others who didn't believe were afraid, weren't they? When you come into the presence of a holy God, fear or faith, and they were afraid. The story that we have in Acts, of course, says that this story that we're talking about became known in the whole town. You think? (laughs) If this happened, you'd hear about it. This is pre-Twitter sphere blowing up. You're going to hear about it. There were really two great reversals that happened in this text when you come into contact. Those who were so arrogant and proud, thinking that they could buy and sell names, thinking they could heal people, profit, they were now seized with fear. So much so that they didn't even want Jesus around them anymore. Get away from us. And... The second great reversal is the name of Jesus was now being extolled. You heard that throughout the passage. The name of Jesus was being extolled. Previously, it was being used. Previously, it was being abused. Previously, it was being trounced upon and blasphemed. Now, it was being extolled. It's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. He has come. And there is salvation in no other. How often the name of the Lord is mocked in our culture, isn't it? How often the name of the Lord is often treated trivially even in churches. And sadly, even in our hearts at times, isn't it? And this story is a great reminder to us of the power of the name really represents and points to the power of the person. There is salvation in no other name than Jesus. And here the Lord had used Paul and Apollos to do a miracle in a city where there are so many different names. Spin the wheel and pick your deity. Lump them all up there. And I'm showing that, no, it's Christ and Christ alone. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. When people dabble in magic and the occult and false religions, they're really seeking to manipulate gods or powers or people. They want to command things for their own purposes. They want to have control over other people or over their own destiny. And that's all the opposite of calling upon the name of Jesus, where we trust him. We're trusting in his provisions. We're trusting in his promises. We're trusting in his purpose, uh, purposes. We're trusting in his person. We're trusting in his sacrifice. We're trusting in his righteousness. We're trusting in his kingship. We're trusting in his timing. We're trusting in his person. We're seeking to love and serve others, not use and abuse them. It's different, isn't it? The final thing we want to look at 
is the power of the Lord over sin. You can imagine after that event, the sobering break with a pagan past for many of the Ephesians. The real miracle in all of this, the healings are great and the exorcism is great, but the real healing is the salvation, the new heart, the new life that comes. When we come to Christ, we receive Christ plus all of his blessings, all of his benefits. Not only are we justified, made right with him, but we're also sanctified. We are conformed more and more to the image of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And here we see them doing that. They're parting from their pagan past. They're taking the books and the things that they had trusted in and used and abused, and they burn them. They don't want any more of that in their life. There's a turning, a, a repentance, a, a different direction because of what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus is doing in them. We have changed lives. We're part of the new creation. We're not improved, we're made new. It's not that Jesus comes and says, just clean up your act a little bit. You just need to do a little bit better. He comes and he makes us new creations. He takes away a heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. And he puts his spirit within us. When we read in the gospel this morning from the book of Ephesians, it said we are raised again with him. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. And that we are part of the new creation and that we do good works as part of that creation, not in order to be it. We're grafted onto the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And now we have a new life. We walk in a new way. We think differently. We act differently. We are different. We're not who we were before. There's a clean break with the past. What these people gave up was costly. If we're calculating the numbers right, it's about $6 million worth of currency today of stuff that they just got rid of. Dennis Johnson, in commenting on this passage, he said, magic and manipulation is a manifestation of the common quest for salvation by works. Our hunger to control our own destinies, to break free from our need for and dependence on divine grace. But the message of Jesus is a message of God's gift, unearned, undeserved, unmanipulated, and uncoerced. It is the good news of rescue for the penniless, the helpless, the hopeless, who can neither pay their benefactor in advance nor repay his kindness in their gratitude. God's gift unmasks our pretensions to independence, our delusion that we can bargain or barter with the Lord of the universe. God's gift also destroys despair over our impotence in the face of the forces that threatened us. Over all of these forces, God stands, the God who gave his son, over to the cross's cursed death on behalf of those who trust in his word. Jesus is the one who conquers diseases, evil spirits, and sin. And we do too in Christ. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered death. And we share in his victory. We are crucified with him. We are raised to new life in him. And we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Not merely, new, not merely improved, but new we were dead in Adam. We are alive in Christ. 
there's nothing that you can do to take away from that. It's a gift. He and his spirit are ours now and forever. Do we still battle with sin? Of course. But we're tethered to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he is our conqueror and we conquer in and through him. None of the other names that people had called upon or even call upon today can help save the sinner. You can go to the graves of any other religious leader. But if you go to the grave of Jesus Christ, it's empty because he is risen, beloved. Let me try it again. He is risen. That's amazing. And you are raised to new life with him. These other leaders can do nothing for you, but Jesus can. He died for your sins. He was raised for your justification. He has given you his Holy Spirit. He even now is interceding for you at the right hand. And so don't be fooled or deceived. In our day, sometimes we think that some of these spiritual things are in other countries or in the past, but Paul, in his letter to Ephesus, said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's still a spiritual battle, isn't there? We tend to deny it or downplay it at times. But there's a spiritual battle going on. Satan hates you. Satan hates me. Satan hates Christ United Reformed Church. Satan hates the gospel. And he and his minions will do anything that they can to bring it down. And so what's our encouragement and hope? Paul says to the Ephesians, finally be strong in your miracles. Be strong in your good works. Right? Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the schemes of the devil. Beloved, we have a powerful enemy who hates us, but the good news is that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be strong in the Lord. Not in ourselves, not even in our own faith. Be strong in the Lord, the object of our faith. And in his might, the one who conquered diseases, the one who conquered evil spirits, the one who conquered sin, and the one who conquered death, that one. And so what do we, how do we do that? With the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the feet shod with the gospel, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Jesus is the one who is the truth. Jesus is the one who is our righteousness. Jesus is the one who is the very epicenter of the gospel of peace. With the shield of faith, with a helmet of salvation, just dressed in the armor of the Lord. Everything that we need is provided for in Jesus Christ. Dennis Johnson says, as Christ's people, we interact with the adherents to other religions today. 
the temptation arises to go one-to-one in a duel of marvels and miracles. Prayers answered, astonishing coincidences, inexplicable healings, unforeseen riches, unique, unexplainable experiences. But if we listen to Luke, we realize that such surface events are not the point. Of course, the Lord alone is the living God who hears and answers prayer, who choreographs the details of our life, who can and sometimes does give his followers physical healing and even material prosperity. What really matters, though, is not whether God makes our daily life more pleasant or less painful. The heart of the matter is the power of the word of Jesus Christ to give eternal life. Amen? Let me pray. I'll pray a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who feels, fills all in all. And all God's children said, Amen. And beloved, please stand if you are able, and let's sing together number 480, I Have No Other Comfort.
Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, receive now the benediction of our God. Not just good wishes, but actual blessings that he gives to us. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs all glory now and forevermore.